0: Um, Last week, uh, we were looking at uh, the way we tend to struggle with the fear of man and how we need to see God as bigger than people. Today, we're going to be looking at a new paradigm, loving and serving instead of needing and fearing. So as we thought about last week about the fear of man and how we need to see God as bigger than man, so is that the end of the story? is to see God as bigger than people to fear him and to stop fearing others well not quite the opposite response to the fear of people is not simply to stop fearing them but also to love them <clears throat> as we properly fear the lord we will grow in our desire and ability to be able to love god and to love our neighbors <clears throat> as we consider what it means to love god and our neighbor i'd encourage you even now to be thinking about those situations and those people. Excuse me. Just lost my place here. Hang on a minute. I encourage you to be thinking about those situations or those people that you tend to fear. And be specific. Don't think about 15 different situations or, or or different people. Think about one. How can you grow in demonstrating love and not fear in that one relationship or that one situation? Remember that growing in the fear of the Lord and loving others is not an overnight thing. Our fear of man can be a lifelong temptation. Uh, We should seek to regularly repent and keep our eyes fixed on Christ, confident that he will complete the good work that he has begun in us. Our first aspect of living with a new vision for life is a reorientation to God that is from God. We are only able to understand what it means to love others instead of fearing them as we understand what it is to live in the reality of our changed lives in in God. Because He loved us, we fear and love Him. Because He loved us, we need to love others. We have a debt of love towards others because we owe a debt of love to God. We need other people, but we don't need something from them. We need them so that we can love them. So turn to First John 4 with me and listen along as I read. This is one of the crucial texts for understanding God's love towards us, our love for God, and the necessity of our love towards others And our relationship to fear. We'll begin with uh, with chapter 4, verse 7 and go to 4.12. As we read this passage, think about how John describes God's love for us and why we should love others. Notice how important it is to understand how God has acted towards us if we are to properly relate to others. And notice the connection between love and fear. In this love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So God's love was costly, <clears throat> God's love sent Jesus to the cross to die for us. In his his reincarnation and atoning work, Jesus provides the ultimate example of one that loved others in the most costly, difficult, and painful ways. As we think about what it means to love others instead of fearing them, we must first learn to understand God's love. God had a choice, and he chose to love us. As we, reor- or, as we are reorientated to, to God, we recognize his grace's choice to love us. This doesn't boost our self-esteem. This devastates our pride. In Ephesians 1, verses 5 to 6, Paul says, He, God, predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Paul later goes on and says that because of God's gracious work in election and his granting faith, that we have no room to boast. If God has so acted towards us, how can we act with anything less than love towards others? God has already accepted us in Christ. Why do we still seek to be enslaved by a desire for acceptance from others? As we grow in our understanding of God's grace, we'll stop looking to people for acceptance. Instead, we'll look to love others in such a way that they are pointed towards the acceptance that can only be found in Christ. And finally, as we reorientate to, to God, we are able to rejoice in the God that has accepted us, protected us, and covered us. Ed Welts says, God fills us. He pours out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given to us. God actually showers us with himself. But this love may not be available to us based upon our psychological needs. That is, if we want to be filled so that we can feel happier, better about ourselves, then we will never be truly delighted in God's love. The cup of our desires is. Is never able to catch the flood of God's love and blessing. When the cup of I wants is broken, it leaves us with a number of shapes or identities that God has given to us, such as priests, ambassadors, children of God, and Christians. We think it's safer and more effective to look to other people to relieve our emptiness. The love that we desire, however, can only be found in the living God. The love of God towards us is so radical and transformative. That it not only changes our relationship with him, but it also changes our relationship with others. So let me just stop there for a minute and ask a question. How has understanding God changed the way that you relate to people or taught you to love them in a different way? So as you think about God, how how does that come? Does anything come to mind about how that has changed the way you relate to people or the way you love them? Mm. I think there's a lot of things that get me upset before and now it's just small stuff. Mm. Yeah. It, I know it doesn't round the thing, it just doesn't make it. Thanks, Carl. <clears throat> Relationship Of the friend of the bridegroom to the bride. Yeah. And that was a really helpful way of looking at kind of our role to um, each other. Thanks, Josiah. Yeah, that's good. How does knowing that people are created in the image of God um, <clears throat> affect the way you think about people, or the fact that you're created in the image of God affect the way you, you relate to people? Yeah, Missy, at the retreat, when us, and I hear this, that unbelievers are also Yes, yes. that's awesome yes thanks Missy yeah yeah. everyone has worth right we're all created in the image of God right yeah good anything else that comes to mind there how about God sacrificing his one and only son for us God loving us enough to do that does that affect the way that we tend to relate to people when we consider what it was done for us yeah yeah, all those things are important to keep in mind. Okay, so point 2 in your handouts. Reorientation to other uh, reorientation to other people, loving and serving and not fearing and needing. Because of God's costly love towards us, we can take big risks in our relationships with other people. Why? Because as Christians, we are so rooted in the love of God in Christ That acceptance and approval from others is not the foundation on which we stand. And this is key. Our reorientation to God helps us see others' true value and function. Others were not created to be feared by us, but to be loved by us. And this goes contrary to what you hear in our culture, where you'll hear you need to look out for yourself first, or you must have your needs met. The worldly definition of success is not how many people are how many people are, uh, you are serving but how many people are serving you. This is completely contrary to what it means to be like Christ. The difference between loving and serving versus fearing and needing. So what are some of the differences between loving and serving versus fearing and needing? Loving others is not necessarily the same thing as being nice to others sacrificing for others or saying yes to others. In fact, sometimes niceness, sacrifice, and saying yes can be the clothing that our fear of man hides in. Sometimes loving others means doing things that they would not immediately perceive as nice. Sometimes loving others means saying no. Loving others will certainly involve sacrifice However, we will see later in 1 Corinthians 13 that sacrifice alone does not necessarily equal love, and it is not necessarily fueled by love. So maybe you feel an intense desire to give to others or to sacrifice for them, but it's done out of a desire to keep them pleased or to keep them from rejecting you. Maybe your sacrifice, maybe your sacrificing for others to keep them, uh, keeps them from learning responsibility. This, again, may be a complete opposite of what it means to actually love others. Pray for wisdom and seek counsel in discerning the differences. Loving others will not always be easy. Ed Weld says, loving others makes life less comfortable. It means that I give up my agenda for a Saturday morning in order to help a neighbor. It means that I get hurt when someone moves away. It means that people stay at our house when I would prefer to be surrounded by my immediate family. Isn't that just like God's word? Just when we think that we have adopted it to a comfortable middle-class lifestyle, it messes everything up. It tells us to love others in the same way that we have been loved by God. So let me stop again and ask a question. What are some practical ways that you have seen sacrificial love in your own life? especially here at RGC. I think we must have moved everyone in this room at least once. Anything come to mind? Yes? sure, Michelle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Kevin. Uh, now I'm thinking something called, That's what we worked on. And one time, we had a bar back in a We had to, like, search our way through the dark to find the plug, plug in the light, and then, like, I for plug, the light switch. that where there was just used to be the That's awesome. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's true, Barbara. Yeah. One thing I'll say, this church is a great example of Christians that just love one another. I mean you can see it in the in this body for sure. Yeah. Very, very powerful here. It's a good testimony of our of our love for each other in our love for Christ, actually. Yeah. Okay, good. Thank you. Let's let's go on. Point three. <clears throat> Who do we need to serve? Scripture gives us several categories. The first category is God. <clears throat> as we have already considered our reorientation towards God, we are able now to do as Christ has told us in Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38. Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the greatest and first commandment. This verse is opposite to our secular culture that we live in. Our culture has no orientation towards God. It stresses an inward orientation, like know thyself or or to thine own self be true. Scripture, however, has pointed us to another way. Our next category is enemies. Ed Welch says that there are two categories for enemies, those who want to harm us and those who have already harmed us in the past. In Luke 6, verses 27 to 33, Christ says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer also... um, also offer the other also and from one who takes away your cloak do not withhold your tunic either give to everyone who begs from you and from one who takes away your goods do not demand them back and as you wish that others would do to you do so to them if you love also if you love those who love you what benefit is it to what benefit is it is that to you for even the sinners love those who love them and if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even the sinners do the same. This is a very high standard that we've been called to. It hurts to love our enemies. It isn't safe to love our enemies. And it's scary to love our enemies. But yet Jesus. <clears throat> but yet, if we are to obey Jesus and obey his command for us to love, if we are to love others instead of fearing them, we will extend this love even to those that are against us. Ed Welch has several excellent things to, in, to say in the context of loving our enemies. He says, When confronted with enemies, we should go directly to the Psalms. If we are not sure how to feel or what to say, when we are inclined to take matters into our own hands, the Psalms teach us to trust in God. When we, are in, when we, are, when we want would insulate ourselves from pain, They teach us to trust in God. Instead of vowing that we will never again move closer to another person, we learn to trust in God. Instead of extinguishing hope, the Psalms teach us to trust in God. In the Psalms, it was the glory of God that was David's mission, not his own vindication. Welch again goes on to describe what it looks like to love our enemies and says, God says that you should treat your enemies the same as you would treat your friends and family. To love in this way, we need both power and discernment. We need power because we are incapable of loving the way Christ has loved others. We need discernment because it is sometimes difficult to know what form love should take. As a result, any time that we are aware that we have a specific enemy, we should seek counsel from the church in order to discern how to express that love. It is an important point that loving our enemies may take a different action than loving our friends. Loving Love for an enemy may include turning them over to earthly authorities if they have broken the law. It may mean physical separation to avoid further physical harm. If you struggle with knowing how to love your enemies, you you should seek to speak to an elder or a wiser Christian friend. Scripture also teaches us in Romans 12, verses 19 to 21, Paul says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if an enemy is hungry, you should feed him. And if he is thirsty, you should give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Another category is unbelievers. Non-Christians can fit into several of these categories of people, and I think it's important that we spend just a few minutes thinking about how to love the lost. First, we should pray for them. Second, we should be prepared to speak of the hope that is within us. And third, we should be thoughtful towards them and not treat them like gospel projects. In a culture that's growing increasingly hostile to Christians and to the gospel— our non-Christian friends, neighbors, and enemies need our love and not our fear, even when they don't perceive that, perceive that they're a need. Is there a non-Christian that you need to share the gospel with? You first need to live a life of love and care towards them, just as Christ has shown to us. Another category is our neighbors. In Matthew 22, verse 39, Jesus tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Ed Welch says, as Jesus teaches in the parable of the Good Samaritan, this is a catch all category. There is no age, ethic, social, economic, ethnic, political, personality, or other categorical boundary to whom we should expect to love as our neighbor. Another category is our families. In the context of families, we first learn to show love and concern. And it is in this context that we often find the greatest difficulty in showing true love. Another category is brothers and sisters in Christ. The New Testament was filled with how we should relate to the family of God. In Galatians 6:10, Paul tells us, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are in the household of faith. One of the best evangelistic evangelistic tools that we have is our love for the brothers and sisters in Christ. There should be no sign of fear in these relationships, only love. Welsk says, I have spoken with many people who want to know their spiritual gifts. My impression is that this perspective represents a breakdown in the church. It reflects a church where we are running around as self actualizing individuals rather than, a unite, rather than uniting as a God glorifying community. The church, be, the church should demonstrate to a watching world what it means to live in love and not fear. The fourth point in your handouts what shape does loving and serving take? <clears throat> in First Corinthians, let me just get a drink. Give me a second. <clears throat> My voice is just coming back to me. (laughs) So point four, what shape does loving and serving take? In 1 Corinthians 13 is one of the best texts to understand and shape our love and service towards others. This afternoon, sit down with 1 Corinthians 13 verses 3 to 7 and a piece of paper and start thinking about the descriptions of love that are in your handout. So take a moment and just look at the list. You see that there's a number of things related to 1 Corinthians 13 there. Think about how you can begin to apply these characteristics towards the people you fear. Write those things down and pray about those things. Maybe ask someone to hold you to keep you accountable. Think specifically how this applies to your life. Next, <clears throat> how does this take shape in the church and serve to show the gospel? If you are members of this church, consider the covenant that we have made to each other. We have committed to love and care for each other in the context of this particular church. We will walk together in brotherly love as we become members of a Christian church, exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other, and faithfully admonish one another as occasions may require. We will rejoice at each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy, to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. We love like this because God first loved us. We love because God first loved us. As Christian, our love for, for others is complete is carefully and completely shaped and fashioned by Christ's love for us. Point five in the handouts. Developing a true servant's heart. How do we, how do we carry out a heart of love? And what does it look like to love instead of fear and need? We are called to live lives and relationships that will be messy. We are not called to live in isolation. Loving and serving others means being involved in the lives of others in ways that may be difficult and inconvenient for us. First, consider your, motive, your motivation. Even when it comes to loving and serving others, even in our desire to love others, Sometimes our desire to love can be born out of a desire to be loved. So how do you know? What is your response when someone doesn't respond to your love in a manner that you desire? How do you feel when you make a move of love towards another and they respond with indifference or worse with anger? If you have clear expectations of how you want a person to respond to your love and they don't respond in that manner, are you devastated? If so, there's a good chance you weren't acting primarily out of a genuine heart of love for them. Second, look to Jesus. In Philippians 2, verses 3 to 7, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of us look not only to our own desires, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. Which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man. Study the life of Christ and notice the ways in which he loved and served others. When we consider the ways that Christ humbled himself to love others, to love us, we are left without excuse in our relationship with other people. Budget deficits are bad, but love deficits are good. Paul tells us in Romans 13.8 to let no debt remain outstanding except for the continuing debt to love one another. And Ed Wells tells us, when the kingdom of God is ruling our hearts, we aspire more to serve than to be served, honor more than to be honored, and love more than to be loved. This doesn't mean that we don't care about being loved. It simply means that we always want to outdo others in love. Do we run the risk of a lopsided relationship? Absolutely. This is a relationship we have with God. He always loves us first and most. Third, pray and confess. Learn how to regularly pray for other people. Pray for their relationship with God. Pray that the Lord would give you a heart of love towards them. And pray that he would remove a heart that is driven by fear. And enlist others to pray for you that you would truly love others. If you are like me and haven't loved others well, confess this to God and to other people. Fourth, minister to others in specific ways. Think about how you can minister to others in specific ways. Scheme for the good of others. I'd encourage you to sit down and plot how you can lovingly serve them. This is good for your soul and will conversely fight pride. As we begin to love others rather than to fear them, genuine God-wrath fruit will be seen. Point six in your handouts. The results of loving and serving rather than fearing and needing. One result is unity. As we seek to love and serve versus fearing and needing, we are able to pursue and experience unity. Unity doesn't mean that we get along. It means that we live in such a way that we all are focused first and foremost on Christ. As we collectively fix our eyes on Jesus, we find unity with one another. It is impossible to adequately address our horizontal relationships with other people until we are able to establish a proper vertical relationship with God. Another another result is genuine respect and appreciation for others. As we grow in our love towards others, it means we get to know them in a deeper way. It is interesting that we often fear people that we really don't know. As we seek to love others in specific ways, as we seek to learn about them so that we can serve them more effectively, as we get out of our selfish, self-protective little bubbles, we begin to see others in a profoundly new way. We begin to realize that instead of worshiping others as false gods and idols, as we start to see the ways other people's bear, other people bear the image of God, as we begin to see others as image-bearers of God, we will begin to love and care for them just as Christ has loved us. So pray uh, peace, joy, long-suffering, and gentleness. These are fruits of the Spirit. As we live in the fear of the Lord, we begin to more fully understand what it means to be controlled by the Spirit of God. And in conclusion... Are we to fear God just to fear him? And are we to love others just to love them? No, there is a greater thing at stake. The glory of God is at stake. God has created us to know him and to worship him as the majestic king, the Lord of glory, and the one true God. So as we fear him, as we show his surpassing greatness and supreme excellency, God is glorified when we rightly fear him. It is as if we were standing overlooking the Grand Canyon, full of awe. The heavenly authorities in all the spiritual realms are informed when God's people fear him rightly. As we love, hear these, as for love, hear these words from our Savior. A new commandment I give you, that you should love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another's. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. This public testimony of our love is a sign to the whole world that Jesus is worthy of living for. So, so are you weary of doing good? Don't lose heart. Your, your labor honors Christ and brings fame to his name. So I have a few minutes. Any, any questions or comments? Let me close this in a word of prayer, then and we can have a break. Father, just thank you for this time that you've given us. I pray that your word would really convict us, Father, as we think about our fear of man and our fear of God. Just give us the right perspective, I pray, Father. Give us the correct understanding of the fear of the Lord and the fear of people. I pray, Father, that we wouldn't live in fear of others, that we would love them as you have commanded us to love. Help us to be obedient to your command. Help us to understand and fear you rightly too. Give us the correct perspective. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.